Okay, so the new series that we're going to look at is called Life Hacks, How the Easter Story Makes Sense of Our Lives. Um, let me read you, there are a couple of, you would think we know what life hacks are, I'm going to do a hands up, but I think if anyone's not going to know what a life hack is, it's going to be me, so you probably know what a life hack is. It's really, I think what it is, is if you don't know, it's like an old mother's tale that's, that's your way to go viral. It's like, it's like darning socks for millennials. It's, it's like that. Here's, here's a, a quote. It's employing something that you already possess to tackle a common life problem in a way you wouldn't ordinarily have thought about. It's something that's already under your nose in your home that you can use to give you a win, a life win. That means you get, you know, get out of jail. So, for example, if you're still wondering what a life hack is, my experience of a life hack and these are all like on your social media threads. You've all got social media threads, haven't you? They're all on YouTube and all that sort of thing. So we had a camera. Cameras cost a lot, don't they? If you're going to go to get a, get a good camera, it costs a lot. And the, something was wrong with the shutter. I don't really know what it was. But when I took it to the man <laughs> to get it fixed, he said, oh, that's going to be a lot of money. And we looked on YouTube and we found this life hack that involved a can of Coke. You cut out part of the can of Coke. And because of the type of aluminium or whatever it is that it's made out of, the kind of thickness, the exact thickness and the type of material that it is, it could fix the shutter again. And you even, as part of this life hack, the can of Coke could be part of the tool that helped you put the thing into the camera. And our camera worked. Again, it's a life hack. Gives you a life win and you, th and you just go, yes, I beat the man, don't you? When you get one, you're like, yes, that could have been 300 quid or 400 quid, but I beat the man. I've got a life hack. It's it's like a simple solution that's already under your nose. You've already got it there, but you've overlooked it. And then this life hack means that you, that you found it again. I'm going to put it to you. This is a premise of the series that the Easter story is... And I, I don't want to be disrespectful when I say this, but I, this is what I think. I think it's the ultimate life hack. The Easter story really is the ultimate life hack. So one of the... Questions I'm asked a bit doing this job, because you rock up to places, you tell people you're a pastor, they go, well, why do you do this? So this was asked by a friend of mine who wanted to know better the day, why do, you, why do you do this? And I said, and often in these moments, off the cuff, I'm not the best off the cuff guy, I'll give a trite reason for why I'm a pastor, but in this moment, I happen to have one ready. And my answer was, do you know, I really think, I really, really think the gospel story, the story about Jesus, really has the answers to all of life. I don't, I don't just think it's, it's a last minute get out of jail way back to God. I think it's more than that. I don't just think it's this new leaf encouragement that we've got at Easter time. I turn over a new leaf encouragement. I think it's more than that. Because of, because of the nature of the story, because of who because of, of what's happening, who, what, where, and why, because this is God coming back to earth, intervening into the chaos, because that's the story, it contains all of the answers to life's problems. The reason, all, all the little stuff. This is what I'm saying, even the little stuff, the trite little stuff. So you can't get on with your dad, you can't forgive your dad, you can't work through your relationships, why the winter makes you miserable, why you keep getting into debt, when your self-confidence crashes. I think the Easter story, every little bit of it is a bit of a life hack. Every little action in that Passion Week 
that Jesus does, every little raised eyebrow, every little drawing in the sand, every little stop, and I'm going to talk to this person, every part of that story is an ultimate life hack for us. There is truth that sets us free in this story. That's my conviction, and that's what we're going to try and share with you over the next five or six weeks. So this story, the Easter story, the first first thing I want you to know, first thing I think that it tells us, and I think the Bible generally would tell us this, and you're going to wonder why we're starting here, but this is, this is what I'm going to say to you. Life is chaotic. Your life is going to be chaotic. Don't expect anything else. Life is chaos. Why is he telling me this? Why are we starting with life is chaotic? I think a common human way of thinking is to think there is no God because of the fact that there is so much chaos. Life is up and down, it's unpredictable, it's unfair, it's unjust. Famines happen, natural disasters happen, ill health happens, tragedy happens, and we go, humans go, I'm sure there's no God because of this. That's, 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 a, that's a mindset, I think, that we have the Bible, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I don't know what your thoughts are about the Bible, but I'm gonna explain to you what the Bible suggests. The Bible never encourages us to think that chaos is a disproof of God. It never, it never asks us to think that. So in the beginning, it got chaotic because human beings went away from God. That's when the chaos came. God created things perfect. The chaos comes as man walks away from God. In the middle of the story, Jesus comes into the chaos. The Bible storyline is the reality of God is not seen in things being all good now. Like we hold out for that, don't we? If everything would just be all right, maybe my pal who's not a Christian just yet, they could probably come around to thinking there's a God if, if that could just work out. If if things would just go well, if the famines all stopped, then maybe I could believe there's a God. The storyline of the Bible says that reality of God is not seen in things being all good now, but in how we live in the chaos. God is seen not by everything coming good right now. It's how people who follow him display him through the chaos. That's how we're going to see him. So Jesus can say, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart I have overcome the world. It's going to be chaotic, but, but you'll see me in how you manage to take heart. God will be seen in how we get through the chaos. That's part one. Now, let me tell you about the chaos of this story. The Passion Week chaos. And I don't know how you, I don't know if, you, if you've watched films about the, the Passion Week. I don't know if you spend much time trying to imagine what it's like. Do you remember um, when they did away with Gaddafi and Saddam Hussein. Do you remember, remember those, those grainy images that came over the news of just the maddening crowd, the mob, just that whirlwind, the like, rules, any rules that were there. The rules weren't good before, but there were no rules there at all. It was just this sweep of chaos, this angst people, circle of lies. That is the story that is the amount of chaos that's going on around Jesus in this last week. I don't know if that's why you've thought of this picture. That, that is what's happening. It is 
crazy chaos. There's lies everywhere. There's injustice everywhere. There's evil powers everywhere. And in the middle of the chaos, you've got these Jesus, these 12 disciples, and these other followers of Christ trying to live out holy lives in the chaos. I think one of the biggest problems facing Maybe that's facing us. That's the phrase facing us today. But I think that that society has ever faced in the chaos is how we see one another during the chaos. It's the way that we look at one another during the chaos. I think this story gives us three examples of how we go in the chaos. So that's that's what I'm putting to you is one of our big problems. Because the world's stacked with chaos, our world is full of chaos up and down, left and right, in and out, all that sort of stuff, we don't look at each other very well. In this story, there's going to be a couple of characters, I think, that are going to show us kind of how we, how we are. So let me just read back a little bit. A little bit of that story. Hopefully it's here. While, it's still, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. The men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions... Peter reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Jesus says, put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to catch me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all of the disciples deserted him. So there's two characters in there. Two characters that give a bit of an example of of what we do when the chaos is. Uh, descends in our lives. So firstly, you've got Judas. And everybody says straight away, I'm not going to do what Judas does. You might, you might end up doing, you might say, I might do what Peter does, but you're not going to align yourself with Judas. Think about what he does. As, as the chaos around him gets bigger and bigger, you know, this, this sphere of death closes in, this unfairness all around him. As, you know, can you imagine Judas in this frenzy? His moral will, all the lessons he'd learned under this guy Jesus, this rabbi Jesus that he'd made his saviour, all of that stuff goes on the wane. And his inclination towards personal gain increases. Or, in the chaos, and this is where I think it hits us a little bit, in the chaos, he gets a bit more selfish. He sees himself a bit more readily and the other thing he does is he sees other people differently. Jesus, this guy that's been his savior, his guru, his spiritual help, his life help, 
this guy, Jesus, moves from being the person that's been his savior to being the, to being the guy who's going to get him out of jail, to being the, even probably worse than that, to be the guy who's going to make him some money. That's, and, and you go immediately, you go, oh, I'm nothing like Judas, I'm nothing like that, I'm not going to go down that kind of a road, I'm not going to give up on all my principles, I'm not going to sell somebody out in that way. But when life, I think that's such a human thing to do, when life closes in on us, when it closes in on us like that, we get more selfish. We see other people in the chaos differently. Second guy is Peter. Now we might, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I like, I think that's not so bad, grabbing a sword. I, you know, be the hero for a second. This is, this is what happens with, with Peter. The chaos escalates around him. And you see, Peter still loves his savior, I think, here. His agenda is still good. He still looks at Jesus and what, and what they're doing, and he says, this is still a good thing. So his motives aren't wrong. His motives are good motives. But in the chaos, his actions become bad. His actions are corrupted. So he start, his heart's in a good place. You know, this, is, this guy's teaching good things. He stands up for good values. That's in his head. But what he does is grab a sword out of a soldier's pocket and chop his ear off. And what happens again is he sees people differently. So, so this man has been following around all this time, this Jesus, who's been saying that his love will stretch out into all the world and make everybody his mission field. All of a sudden, Peter looks around and sees part of this mission field, this Roman soldier, but sees him as an enemy because the chaos has closed in on him. I think that living, living in the chaos has got a massive impact on our human capacity to live principled lives. We live amongst the chaos now. That's, that's my suggestion. And I think it has massive impact on us to live good lives, to carry on living good lives. How hard is it? Let's think about the, the chaos. How hard is it when you see people getting away with it? So you, you can be having a good day, you can be moral and principled, and then you watch the news and the story is of some corrupted politician who's got some tax haven in Barbados and he's getting away with it and you've gone from the morning looking at everybody equal having a nice attitude towards life and all of a sudden you're like man he's getting away with it I wonder what if they're getting away with it and all of a sudden we look at people a bit differently how hard is it to live principled lives in the rat race that we have this saying don't we first world problems We've, we've got this society, like we all, we all live in pretty well, we all live in pretty good, and yet we always want the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And that affects that chaos, because I think that's what it is. It's chaos, wanting more all the time, more and more and more, means that we don't look at the poor person with compassion-filled eyes the same way. Not enough to go, oh, I need to sack all this off, I don't need all this money, because look at this person with nothing. It affects how we see that person. We see that person, but we still think, yeah, I still need my extra this and extra that. It affects how we see people. And sometimes, sometimes this is magnified, and maybe this would just help me to make the point a little bit. Sometimes the chaos comes in really close into our lives. So I'm a, I'm a f footballing dad. Now, not a footballer anymore. Footballing dad, I go along and watch football. And the world of the footballing dad is so nice. 
He's so nice. Everybody's so nice. Every, you go along, you're doing a good thing. The teams are playing football. It's my daughter that plays. It's so nice. Everybody's helpful. Some guy's going to go and put the lines out. There's people serving drinks. It's so nice until, and it's some poor, poor little ref, some young guy who's 15 years old who's made a big mistake this morning getting out of bed, and he makes a wrong decision, and then you're stood along the touchline with all these nice people, including me, and in your head and out of somebody else's mouth towards an eight-year-old girl is, I hate that cow. Or it's like, it's just incredible what comes out of your mouth. The chaos, the chaos starts there, the rules are broken, and the lot of us, on the pitch they go nuts, and on the side of the pitch we go nuts. We just, and we see, we see the people differently. This eight-year-old girl who we wish well, I think all these eight-year-old girls we wish really well, all of a sudden we don't care for them at all, and we're happy to call them horrible things. And it's, like, it's worse than that. When the chaos, when life feels like there is nothing but chaos, because sometimes life's like that. Chaos is all you can see. So sometimes you can kind of level it all up and you can go, this is, this is my chaotic moment. I'll come out of it soon. It'll be fine. Sometimes it's all you can see is chaos. So we see this in war. You see it in the wars and soldiers that go off to war and I guess when you're in that environment, I guess that's what happens. All you can see is the chaos. All the rules are broken all the time. You probably see no end to this. And in those chaotic moments, people do horrific things. We devalue each other horrifically. You look back through any history book at any war and the rape and the pillaging and the looting and the mass and all of that stuff. And we just look at each other like we're not even people. In the chaos, we get a bit like Peter and Judas. We, we see people differently. We are affected by it. It affects our view of people. And then in this story, and you should really know that we're heading this way, is this guy, Jesus. Now let's just think for a second at the chaos that Jesus endures in this moment. It's Passion Week. It's Easter Week. Let's just put ourselves in his shoes He's betrayed by a friend with a kiss. That stinks, doesn't it? That's the worst. Isn't it? Can you imagine being on the wrong end of that in that moment? He's abandoned by his disciples. So let me make that more real. All those people that have been following him around, listening at his every word, sat at his feet, following him everywhere. His, the people that are going to take this word out, they abandon him. They all abandon him. His people, the people he's grown up with, the people he's come for, they say, we don't want him. Can you imagine that hit when that's your life? We don't want, we don't want this guy to reign over us. Everybody that's providing the justice is lying about him. He is this horrific victim of injustice. And that in and amongst all of the chaos that's going on. And yet... In that chaos, Jesus sees people just the same. To Judas, his betrayer, the guy that's destroyed his heart with a kiss, what does the text say? Do what you've come for, friend. He's still a friend. To Peter, who's become this fighter, who started seeing the world now through a fight, through a war, 
Jesus hasn't joined in with that. Jesus has remained his teacher. He says to him, we didn't come for this. This is not why we're here. Did I, have I ever, has any part of my character shown you that this is what we're supposed to do? I sat down in the temple courts and we taught people. That's what we did. We didn't do this. And he stays a teacher. He stays a friend. To the Roman soldier and the soldiers that are, that are going to, let's be honest, they're going to come and drag him up a hill and kill him. To the Roman soldiers, the people that want to kill him, he's a peacemaker. It's not in this gospel, but it's another gospel. He puts the guys back here on. He pieces that all back together. To the false accusers, people that just make up lies about him, he remains a truthful witness. His character is flawless. He sees people the same way, the perfect way, right the way through the chaos. And the question that, if you're cynical about the gospel, you should really be asking is, so what? So you've described a good man with flawless character. Great. You know, you've described a man with, who's got real depth of self-control. There are other people like that. David Blaine could stay in a bubble for 40 days. He's not changed my life. My friend down the road is on a carb-free diet and only eats sushi, salad, all week long. You know, that's, I'm not going to follow her pattern of lifestyle. That's not helped me any. Why is this story any different from any other story? It's in about verse 63 and 65 that I think this story has an impact for us because, because when Jesus lives this flawless life in the middle of the, the chaos, he does it self-identifying as God's son. That's what he says. I'm God's son. And he declares to a world that will look on this story over and over again, Easter, we'll come back here over and over again and look at this, as he, as he lives his life in the Passion Week, as he heads towards the cross, he says to us, as God's son, identifying as God's son, and this should hurt, this is how you were supposed to live. This is the kind of people you were supposed to be. He demonstrates to us a perfect child of God. If you, the theological line is, is the perfect Adam. And he does it in the middle of the chaos. And as he does this, as he takes his place on that cross, and he says he's God's son, he reminds everybody watching and everybody that will watch for the next thousands and thousands of years that we too are supposed to be children of God. That's the reminder that we get. In this in this chaos story of ultimate, ultimate chaos, lies, betrayal, injustice, where all the characters in it are not behaving like children of God. Nobody is. Everybody's kind of messing that up. There's betrayal, there's stabbings, there's murder, there's lies. Jesus keeps his focus. He sees everybody in this story as children of God. Judas, who betrayed him, still a brother. Peter, who lost his head and would let him down, still a brother. The soldier, who doesn't really even know him, still just an errant ch child of God. They're all brothers. They're all part of the family of God, and this is how Jesus sees them. Even with his last breath, he says, Father, forgive him. All these people that are looking at me wrong, he's still looking at everybody as if they are children of God. In his death, God's Son reminds us that we are God's sons. He reminds us how to live 
and he reminds us that there is hope. I think Easter is the ultimate life hack. Think about the world that we live in. What concept or human action could alter the direction of our chaotic world? What on earth could bring back balance to this crazy world? The injustice, the famines, the wars, the hostility, the racism, the prejudice, everything, all this stuff that we live with, what could bring an end to that? What on earth could fix that? What hack out there could solve that? It's really simple. It's under your nose. If you tried it, it would change your life. If we all tried it, it might change the world. To simply remember, as Jesus showed us on the cross, as he declared on the cross, we are children of God, created to be like him. And so is everybody else. That's the life hack. We look around and we see everybody else as the children of God. That might just change the world. One of my, one of my biggest, big flaws is when I get in the wheel, when I get behind uh, the wheel of a car, I seem to lose all of my goodness, just falls from my arms, um, and I become a horrible person. And somebody once told me to imagine the person in front that's just cut you up or not indicated or whatever else I'm annoyed about at the time. Imagine that's your mum. Imagine that's your little old lovely mum. Not that my mum's little or old. She is lovely. Imagine that person is your mum. Imagine the addict who's just burgled your house again is your errant brother. Can you imagine how, how that would change the world? Imagine the girl that you're trying not to watch in the porno happens to be your sister. How much would that change how men look at women if we thought of them in that light. Imagine the girl who's starving to death in Syria. is not just some figure on a TV screen, but they are family. They are part of you. Wouldn't that change the world? Even if just one of us could think like that, if we could all think like that, it might just change the world. When you remember you're a child of God, the chaos is still there, but it's not all that's there. There's a way through it, a way to live through it. There's a hope that comes after it. Jesus, the good son, goes to the cross and says, as a good father, go and be his children.